By the way, Brother Adam, at this point, you're going to be on the resolutions committee next year. I'm just letting you know. Please. <laughs> Hebrews 1, 13 through 2, 5 says, Now to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. This is the Tag You're It podcast. I am Ray Ray. I am David Van Bever. And welcome again to another, uh, just the the cross state studios that we have here. And uh, again, just Excellent. Uh, thank you for bearing One with pro- us through all the abolition yeah. stuff too. And so here we're uh, back on track to continue just to make sure and maintain uh, we are not one-trick ponies, and uh, that is there's correct. a lot of stuff that has uh, come up. Something old is new again, as uh, hopefully we look forward to the future, um, uh, what we talk about on the podcast. So, Yeah, so Adam, thank you so much for welcoming us in. One of the things that I want to kind of touch base on is, I guess, maybe five or six years ago, maybe a little less than that, a book came out called Backwater Sermons. was by a guy by the name of Jay Hume, I think that's how you say his name, and this is a poem that we actually came across called Jesus at the Gay Bar. Now, before we jump into actually looking at the poem, I think that it's interesting that we recognize a few pieces. Number one, this is a cultural artifact. In other words, this is something that people are looking at who are antithetical to Christianity in many ways and saying, no, 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 this is true Christianity. So before we even jump into that, one of the things that I think is really, really important is whenever those who affirm some type of liberal theology began to try to use Jesus against Christians, the first question that we always need to ask is, well, do you believe that Jesus historically existed and that the Jesus you are referring to is the one that was actually revealed to us in scripture the one that hebrews chapter one verses one through two is actually talking about you see what i'm saying yes and it and it goes and this goes across the everything so this isn't just a uh, particular that's uh, incoherent with other particulars you know there's there's the issue even when we talk to mormons and they go i'm a christian and just like and then it's that jeff durbin well you know my jesus made satan your jesus is satan's brother you know, yes. so there, you know, it's, it's one of those things, I think it's a Charles Spurgeon quote talking about knowing, uh, discerning, like real discernment is not discerning truth from false. It's discerning what sounds to be true from truth. And so whenever we get into uh, Mormonism, if we get into Jehovah's Witnesses, if we get into Islam, because they do talk about Jesus, 
um, in their in their own way. Um, you know, the, it's going to come down to now we're in this a cultural narrative um, with the uh, the LB LBGTQ plus whatever. And it's uh, to different Jesus. On. Yeah, yeah. And so the, it's one of those things that yes, the post mills in us go, hey, they cannot stay away from the fact that they have to have Jesus. Even in culture, right. they have to have Jesus to be able to have a conversation. Um, but sadly, uh, just like uh, you know, anything that apes Christianity, you got to have Jesus. But it's a wrong Jesus, and it's going to be. It could be slightly skewed, just enough to get you to lead you way over here. But like, if you get just a few degrees off from Earth and, and a rocket, you're going to overshoot the moon by miles. And so, yes. you know, that's that's the thing that we got to do here. Do we have an objective standard um, with the presupposition that uh, this is God's word is an errant word is clear, sufficient, authoritative, necessary word right here? Or does everybody get to speak to it? And then we're just trying to put p- parts and pieces this together over time until we get, you know, the one universal God, you know, that's, well, that's going to be the issue. And Adam, the other thing is what I see often in liberal theology is liberal theologians and those who try to propagate some type of liberal theology, want to make Christians who are conservative and believe in God's word as the ultimate standard. They want to try to shame them into making them feel bad for the Jesus that they affirm, the Jesus that scripture reveals, the truthfulness of God's law, the moral binding reality that is God's law is something they want to try to shame Christians of. And many Christians, because they don't know how to deal with artifacts like this, actually end up being like, oh, well, yeah, that's kind of a good Jesus. But that's not even close to the real Jesus. So let's go ahead and work down through the poem. And I'm just going to read a line from it, and I'm going to give Adam an opportunity to respond, and I'm just going to share some of my thoughts. So here's the poem. Um, Real quick, though, before we jump into that, one of the things that I will note that it alludes to very much, uh, Luke chapter 8, verses, I believe, 43 uh, all the way down to 48. Do you think it's an all right idea for us to uh, to read that, Adam? Because I do think yes, that uh, provides well, some context for it. Yeah, let's. Yeah, well, uh, we'll provide some context mm-hmm. anyway. But just go ahead and read it because uh, we're, we'll get into Luke. We'll get into because uh, we've got another. We got a, a website from the author. Um, That's right. To kind of deal with on this as well. But uh, I think we, let's start with uh, okay. you know, what he has said here. So the poem begins. Uh, he's here in the midst of it. Now, what is it? It, of course, it is a gay bar. Obviously, the context is provided for. So Jesus is right there in the midst of it. And I would say, well, that is true from a Christian perspective. Jesus is God and God is omnipresent. So Jesus is there. However, The person of Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the triune God, physically is not there. He's seated at the right hand of God, Acts chapter 2, verse 33, Acts 7, 55. Or as Romans 8, 34 says, Jesus Christ, who is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Or as 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22 says, who has gone into the heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subject to him. So the assumption that Jesus in a physical sense is at a gay bar is simply rejected by scripture. We cannot be talking about the same type of Jesus. Now, again, I assume that the idea here is that they are asserting that Jesus is actually present here. Of course, it is a poem. I understand that. But as Christians, we already recognize there's a problem. Uh, This idea that Jesus would enter into some type of sinful presence in this manner is something that would be quite problematic for us. You see what I'm saying? 
Yeah. So, you know, if we get just the, yeah, the first stanza, you know, he is, he is here or he's here in the midst of it, right at the center of the dance floor, robes hitched up to his knees to make it easy to spin. So this is suggesting that Jesus is on the dance floor and he's dancing, he's partying, he's having a lot of fun. Um, he is there. And so it's one of those things like, well, for one, it's like, maybe let's be anachronistic. Let's just say this is a gay bar, first century. Jesus is in the flesh. He is here on earth. Um, if there was such a thing, um, he would have been there and he would be dancing and he would be even trying to make it more comfortable for him to dance. Okay. So it's one of those things like we do know that Jesus dined like he had Zacchaeus over. That was a, a tax collector and tax collectors were extortionists. And so in a way that they, it, there was every right for people to go, that is a horrible person. But the mm. only thing is, is whenever we're doing that, we're, we're not talking about ourselves. Like, how am I horrible? Here's how, here's how Matthew is horrible. He's a tax collector um, whenever he dines with Matthew. Um, you know, Matthew's a horrible tax collector. He extorts from people, blah, 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 blah. Okay, but where's mine? <laughs> you know, so that's one of those things. Whenever we whenever we talk like, whenever we're having this sort of conversation and writing poems like this, it's the other person's problems. But how about mine? How about my problems? Where am I horrible? Where do I need, say, Jesus here? Um, but, that's, but that's what it's suggesting from the first stanza is that, you know, if Jesus were in the flesh, um, and he like there were gay bars that exist or if jesus were then, here today or yeah, if jesus were yes, here today yeah, i think yeah. is the other piece again yeah yeah uh as christians though we'd also recognize that in uh since the ascension whenever christ has returned in any type of physical sense as we see in scripture places like acts chapter 9 uh verses 3 to 7 when he throws of course saul paul off of his horse or in revelations 9 13 whenever jesus shows up in the physical sense so what is he doing he's actually providing judgment to yeah. sinners uh yeah. he is yeah. actually upholding the moral law so again if you're trying to say well jesus if he were here today this is what he'd do well actually we know very clearly what jesus would do if he showed up in the physical sense today how do we know that because scripture tells us exactly what yeah. he has done following the ascension when he has showed up or is going to show up and that is to provide judgment yeah. or pour down judgment yeah, yeah yeah and so yeah and that's that's just one of those things like this is a sort of a broaching on the fallacy of uh, the hypothetical uh, or yeah, the hypothesis contrary to fact uh, sort of fallacy where you take some truth statements but then you say mm. you know like like you say um you know if uh the south if the south won the war then it would yeah. be like this you can take some facts and then speculate on the outcome um, you know, if the, the counterfactual if, fallacy. If the North hadn't won the war, then slavery would have still existed today. And it's like you can't make that argument, especially whenever there's other things that would have gone on, uh, you know, capitalism. Uh, but you know, to digress from that, anyway, um, this is kind of just taking a hypothetical thing. If Jesus were here today, this is what he's just saying. If Jesus were here today, he would go to the gay bar. He wouldn't just go and show up to talk to people, but he would be in the dance floor. He would be like hitching up his robes, having fun and partying and uh, dancing with them. And so it's one of those things like, yeah, he didn't he go to a wedding? Yes, he went to a wedding 
and he was mm-hmm. a part of that. So he was a part of his community and stuff like that. Oh, very so interesting. I At the wedding, the, what did he do yeah, too? Again, yeah. I think there's a very interesting thing. He what he turned water into wine. He actually celebrated the great gift that is marriage and provide provided. I have to think fuel for that celebration. How's that? Yeah, is, that, man, is, that is that is that too celebrating crazy? a man and a woman? So that so the man and woman mm-hmm. was a part of the law, which was okay. Drinking is not a sin. Jesus did it, and it's never it's not a sin now. And uh, being drunk is, is is a sin and and stuff like that. But drinking and enjoying, like God has called His people to drink uh, wine and strong drink in the Old Testament um, in celebration. Just don't rise up to party like they did uh, with the golden calf. And here's you know, what I'll say too: different. we I can say with great confidence that the Jesus who is revealed in Scripture never was never in a lust fueled dance party. Uh, even with women, by the way, and yeah. he would again be appalled by such a thing. And why can I state that? Well, Proverbs chapter eight, verse 13 tells me the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. We already have a definition of what is evil given to us in the law of the Old Testament, pride and arrogance and and the way of evil and perverted speech. I hate what is it that God hates? Jesus is, of course, God. He hates pride and arrogance. Or how about this? Or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. We know that God, by the Holy Spirit, again, was revealed this by Paul. Or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Guess what? Jesus would not be on the dance floor with those who are trapped in what he has defined clearly as sin, telling them to continue to be in sin. He's not going to grease the tracks for lifestyles that lead to destruction. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. Who is this speaking of? Of God, Jesus Christ, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than they? Again, a very clear reality that God is not going to have anything to do. So the idea that God incarnate is going to enter into a sinful place and act sinfully is exceptionally inconsistent with the teachings of the Bible on the character of Christ. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it's one of those things that is it's just setting it up that 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 would be the case. And so you've got to you definitely have to question, like, what would Jesus be doing? and the thing is, yes, he did hang out like he did get called a glutton and a drunkard from uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the, you know, all the leadership. And it's like, you know, I come and I drink with sinners and you call me a drunk and I eat with sinners and you call me a glutton and stuff like that. So we we do realize that Jesus did get in with the people. He loved the people. And especially you see that in Matthew 23, whenever he is just denouncing the leadership um, for what they did and and neglecting um, well, the people and 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 neglecting the people not not and it's if you read the rest of it it's not because um, they weren't doing the they weren't doing the law right. That's and right. So well, again, I, yeah, and and so that's that's the thing. So he loved people. He'd be doing this stuff, but we cannot set Jesus up as the uh, like he would be hitting. He would be going stop lusting. In you know, any of the pictures, yeah. in any of the pictures of Christ dealing with those who are caught in sin in all the New Testament, we never see him joining in the sinfulness yeah. of those people. In yeah. fact, he's telling them 
to repent and believe the gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 21, that is the first words of Christ in the gospel of Mark, where he makes it very clear that people need to repent and believe the gospel. Uh, That is a very clear piece from the mouth of Christ Jesus. He has made it very clear. And I said 21, I actually meant 15. Mark 1.15, so I apologize for that. Look, this is an ontologically different Jesus from the one revealed in Scripture, and that's the major contention. Uh, The sinner wants Christ to affirm their sin and accept their sin as good. The biblical Jesus does not say that our sin is good. He just says repent and believe. Yeah, and and we're going to see the switch here in the next stanza. So, you know, you just said, you know, we've uh, we've got the ontological different Jesus. Well, we yes. have the ontological different Jesus because we have an ontologically different human being, uh, the anthropology of what it is to be a human, uh, especially post-fall, all that. So it says, it continues on to say, at some point in the evening, a boy will touch the hem of his robe and beg to be healed, beg to be anything other than he is. And so again, going from the title, again, this is very um out in the ether anyway the title you know so the the boy apparently has to be gay he's at the gay bar jesus is dancing at the gay bar having a good time and at some point that night this person's gonna go like i'm gay i don't like the way i am Mm. and then i need to go up to jesus and come to him for healing because i don't want to be the way i am so at some point in the evening then there's going to be that and then to continue on he says and then he will reach his arms out uh, sweat damp. So Jesus, so Jesus reaches his arms out, sweat damp, and weary from dancing or weary from the dance, he'll cup this boy's face in, in his hand and say, "My beautiful child, there's something in this heart of yours that never needs to, or there's nothing in this heart of yours that needs to be healed." So I'll say it again. Jesus tells this boy that is gay, that doesn't want to be the way he is. He's going up to Jesus to touch the hem of his garment, um, proverbially, and then say, Jesus tells him, my beautiful child, there is nothing in this heart of yours that ever needs to be healed. And so <laughs> we have a ontologically different Jesus. And then we have right. like, what, what is human. Like that's, that's the thing is whenever we get into the way that uh, we do our apologetic mm-hmm. and everything, it comes down to what Calvin says, to know God is to know self, to know self is to know God. So if you start from yourself and you think that you're good, okay, this is what Jesus is supposed to be. So are we starting with what the Bible says about Jesus or are we starting with what we want Jesus to be because we're good? And so well, actually, think- you know, so again, there's that, that weird, um, just we can't comprehend the connection between God and then us as image bearers of God. Well, the other issue that I think that is obviously alluded to here is, of course, the woman who is bleeding for 12 years. That is, of course, seen for us in all the synoptic gospels, by the way. Matthew gives the least detail, but she's bleeding for 12 years, according to all three of the gospels, by the way. Uh, Somehow her, um, her uncleanliness which is not actually technically sinfulness, is compared to a moral action that is sinful and made one in the same. Again, that is a conflation of the two ideas, right? Ceremonial Mm -hmm. uncleanliness is not sinfulness. There's nothing that says that it's sinfulness. It's actually saying don't enter, though, into the temple during those times. Stay away from these things. Like, that is a very clear piece. Likewise, this is something that 
she is having as a physical ailment, not a moral choice. Again, it is the moral action of homosexuality that is being the sinful piece that is acted out here in this gay bar. That's a incredibly different thing. Mm-hmm. However, notice the idea that that is communicated that someone would like to leave a life of sin. That does not seem to be someone who is enjoying themselves either, by the way. Notice that this young man is not enjoying himself. There's a very interesting thing there. And we know this, that those who come to Christ in true repentance will always be forgiven here. This young man is not coming in repentance. This woman didn't have to come in repentance to touch the hem of the robe because she wasn't in sin. This young man is coming because he knows that there is a particular sin in his life that he would like to see ceased. Again, Christ never promises that our sin will go away, but the consequences of that sin have been nailed to the cross when we acknowledge them. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it just comes down to the fact that it's it's just that that issue. This is coming from uh, an anthropocentric um, issue to where, again, we are transcending up from ourselves to go this is what we like. This is what we find not harmful. So if we want to hold on to Jesus not being a harmful person, then he cannot harm these people. There cannot mm. be anything wrong with them. That's right. And the thing is, is we go to Isaiah and about his people in the Old Testament. Isaiah yeah. is speaking to them and he says, why do you want more beatings? Why do you keep on rebelling? The whole head is hurt the, and the whole heart is sick from the sole of the foot, even to the head. No spot is uninjured. Wounds, welts, and festering sores, not cleansed, bandaged, or soothed with oil. Then we get to um, Romans 3. We get it. It says, what then? Are we any better off? So he's saying of the Jews, are we any better off? He says, not at all, Paul says, for we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. Would this child even want to seek Jesus? If he was going to seek Jesus, is he seeking Jesus for sin? Well, he's apparently feeling sin, and that's why he wants to go to Jesus. And then he, they turn Jesus into a liar because of the fact that we're saying that's right. that humans are good. So who's going to turn Jesus into a liar? Because apparently Jesus is the one who sent the Holy Spirit, who all the prophets, all the apostles wrote by being guided by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the word of the Lord here, that no one is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away, all alike, and become worthless. And this is about Jews and Gentiles. And so that's that's the, the bad thing is Jesus is now a liar. But unfortunately for them, is and to Jay Hulme here, he's got the wrong anthropology. That's he's right. Starting with himself. And this is what happens when you start with yourself um, right now. It's okay to be gay. It wasn't back in the day. And they're saying, well, that's because of the Bible and all that stuff. It's like, well, it'll come back around and then it's bad to be gay, right? If we're going to do this by human standards and by population and by ad populum arguments and and uh, faulty appeals to authority and all that kind of stuff, whoever's got the big stick says what's right and what's wrong. So in the future, this is not going to be a correct poem. That's right. Possibly, you know, and or well, in a different society today, this is not going to be true. Um, but the thing is, is this kid's either he is seeking Jesus, as this says, wrongly, or Jesus is wrong. 
Again, there's a universal negative here stated by Christ. Nothing in this heart of yeah. yours. Jesus yeah. is making it very clear. There is no things in the heart of this person that are evil at all, right? Yeah. No thing in this heart. Nothing in this heart. So basically, Jesus is saying to this young man that he needs no redemption whatsoever. Yeah. And it's again, not just homosexuality. Yeah. It's not just homosexuality that's sinful. Mm-hmm. No, no, nothing is sinful in this man. Yeah, and it goes back to, you know, just I, I started the show <clears throat> with uh, with Hebrews and uh, just getting back to that real quick. You know, if yeah. you really think about what Hebrews, it says, it says, for this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, um, he's talking mm-hmm. about the old covenant and all yes. those kind of things. And every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. So you'd say that Leviticus 19 applied to the Old Testament was a just punishment for that. So that's yes. what uh, that's what the author of Hebrews, I, I'll say Paul again, what, what the Pauline teaching is um, that the Old Testament and the law was the punishments were just against homosexuality. Um, so if that's true, then how what's going to happen if we neglect such a great salvation because the great the greatness of the salvation is great because of what because of the law because of what righteousness is and who god is and how holy he is and what his character is and what he made us to be that we have rebelled against and what you are doing whenever you are going into homosexuality you are rejecting the image of god in you and so this is not this is not just a twisting of of uh being in a a relationship with a person of the opposite sex, which is a distortion, but it's still, it's the right configuration, but still distorted. You are doing what Romans one eighteen says, you've been given up to a depraved mind and God has handed you over to it to burn with lust for the same sex. Um, that's, that's the degradation and that's why we're here. And so um, that's the thing is if you don't have the law, you don't have the gospel. The gospel is you said not good so- news without the law. You said it so clear, Adam, before the program uh, that the woman was driven to Christ because yes. of the law. Yes, and this she would man. Be because, like, so, so you know, if now we can bring in, you know, the idea from the article. Um, yeah. So if you go to uh, jhulm.com and you type in Jesus at the gay bar, you're going to get the uh, the poem. So this is the guy that wrote it, um, and it's from the backwater, yeah, backwater sermons. Um, he brings in the fact that it's talking about the woman with the, you know, with the the bleeding woman for 12 years, she was bleeding. And so what drove her to Christ? Well, physically, holy moly, she, she bled for 12 years. Why do you think she's going to Jesus Christ? If she's heard that healing comes from Christ and he's going around, like, what is she going to do? She's like, well, I, well, what else do we know about the woman that she suffered for 12 years? She spent everything she had going to man and their, their ways of doing things and had not been healed. And then she sees Jesus. She hears he's around and then she presses herself in with everybody else pressing against Jesus. And then she touches him and she goes, you know, maybe, and then apparently we, we know that her faith, like she did this in faith. She, she was, so she wasn't just at her wits end going, well, this is the last thing I know to try. No, she has probably heard about Jesus and, and because it was going all around. And then she approaches him in faith and says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And right. she was. And so it was her faith that made her well. It's the faith that David was speaking of in uh, Psalm 51 about the, the contrite heart that the blood of goats and bulls couldn't do squat. And that was a 
call it was a, a contrite and humble heart and approach and it was the faith of david um that made him a man after god's own heart it wasn't his actions because he was a horrible he was a horrible person he did yes. bad things right um and so you know what what's the difference between uh, a bad king and a good king it's faith and trust right. and repentance so david repented the other kings didn't they did bad things and they just kept on driving everything into the ground david repented and then he actually said I will take the heat for what I did. Don't do it to the people. So he's like, don't blame them. Blame me for what I did wrong. Right. So he was, you, you see the heart difference. And so you see the heart in this woman. And so even if she was, uh, you know, cause this, uh, uh, Jay Hume guy talks about, uh, he says religious authorities leaning on the highest prescriptions of scripture and disregarding that's wider message deemed the woman in Mark five, a danger to society. Where do we get that in the text? I understand that we can get that maybe in the meta narrative, um, but would she be that dangerous in society or because it seems like she was still sort of inside the camp because you remember they were horrible at keeping people, <laughs> you know, at keeping the law and they weren't. And so somehow she was able to get into the camp and touch Jesus. She was not supposed to be. She was supposed to be outside the camp. She was bleeding. Right. The whole time. So there's like a weekly get a priest in here. Has anything changed? 12 years. Right. And so maybe you're wrong about the idea that. She was absolutely ostracized. Maybe it was the fact there is nothing. She hears Jesus and she comes to him in faith like the text actually says. And we don't have to speculate and try to do damage with eisegesis because you're actually wanting to keep your sin um, and Jesus at the same time because you recognize you need Jesus. But the thing is, you got to have Jesus on his own terms here. But he goes and says that. Um, so, yeah, that in Mark 5, she'd be a danger to society, disgusting, and someone to be cast aside. Do we see any parallels to queer people in our relationships with some religious authorities today? Well, the thing is, um, what's the difference? You know, is there a distinction between bleeding physically and uh, the issue of homosexuality, which is actually not sin against other people, it's sin against self as well. So you are damaging the image of God. You are lying about what God made. You're turning God into a liar when you do that. Because you're supposed to be something that causes other the other people around you to glorify God. And you're creating a false image to be worshipped, to uh, be believed. And so, yeah, that's when, when we get there, you know, like it was. But then again, it could have been the law. You know, I am unclean and I know he can make me clean because we see that with lepers um, well, in the Gospels. You, yeah, you can make me clean, Jesus. And OK, I will make you clean. It's very interesting, too, because he says, oh, Jesus defies expectations and rules. No, no. Jesus acts consistently with the nature of God because he is God. God right. is a God of righteousness and justice. And are you ready? He is a God of redemption. And again, he pours out wrath on those who have broken his holy standard. So, no, Jesus did not act in just defying expectations. Jesus acted in, in mercy towards that woman who is coming to him, not with a spiritual issue, but with a very physical issue that she needed reconciliation from. She drove, was driven to Christ by the goodness of the law. The one who could defend and, and again, the one who would live out the law in perfection. Again, yeah. I, I, then he says, Jesus states, there is nothing in this heart that is ever needs to be healed. Or is that not quite true? Then he goes on. You see, there is healing in this poem. There is. There, there's healing in this poem? Really? No, it's not just it. the healing you'd expect. 
No, number one, that's a powerless Jesus because it's not a real Jesus. It's a false Jesus. Therefore, any real power that it would have would be completely lost. In the poem, just as in Mark 5 and throughout the gospel, Jesus does the unexpected, especially if what is expected is the letter of the law as prescribed by the religious authorities. There you go, friend. You've got it right on. Jesus does what is expected of the righteous God because he and the Father are one. Therefore, he is consistent with who he is. He does not break the law. He lives out the truthfulness of the law and does not add things to it because he is God. Yeah. And so the, the big thing is, is we got to understand, especially when it comes to like Matthew, um, one one little cool little tidbit I got to put in a sermon when I got to preach on the on the opening of Matthew. So I had to actually establish uh, the, the book of Matthew and and the why and the who and all that kind of stuff. And, and the big thing is, is, again, just getting into that whole Matthew story. Um, he was a tax collector. He was hated uh, by his, uh, his. So just like Jesus, he was rejected by his own people because he was a tax collector and he probably had, they probably had some right to um, say he's a horrible person. He's, he's extorting me. You know, you see people, you see in Luke earlier in Luke, um, a little detail on what John the Baptist tells, like the the soldiers come up to him, don't take any money. uh, Any, you know, don't, don't do these kind of things to people hold up justice. um, You know, and the tax collectors come to him, don't extort any more money than you are authorized to do. Uh, he tells them because they're like, what should we do whenever they hear uh, about the wrath to come? And they're they're hearing about the one to come um, after him and all that stuff. So, you know, that, that that's the thing is that there there is this Jesus that you got to change for. Um, and it's not the and it's the law that tells you what does God hate? That's what right. did he not make? um for his glory because sin does not glorify him so you know what is not god glorifying and he actually because of our ethical nature we're finite totally get that you know but you know it's not a mistake we know that's another part of the message of jesus is that we know and that we rebel against it and so the 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 healing that is there is jesus does want to bring you in but there is a standard that goes, if there is no standard, there is no Jesus. So like, you don't need Jesus if there is no standard. But the standard is, is, is the triune God and the holiness of the triune God. And if you take away even that, then you're taking away. Why did Christ even die? That's right. So yes, he died because by that, the hands that of the authorities. Leaves, yeah. That poem leaves Jesus without any reason to die. Nothing yeah. in your heart is evil. Yeah. And it's the same thing whenever in it, we can, what we can bring for. Yeah. And we can bring yeah. the whole abolition thing in, you know, like if we, if we do not give, if we do not tell the women that murdered their babies, that they murdered their babies and, and just from the get go, just be like, you're fine. You're rejecting the gospel again. So yes. if we neglect the great salvation because of the law, if we do not give people the greatness of the salvation, because yes, this boy just, when we're in hypothetical land, we can go anywhere. So yeah. that means I can say this boy was really wanting to approach this Jesus. This wrong Jesus dancing on the gay floor, on the gay bar floor. And this gay bar Jesus said, ah, there's no gospel. And so then this Jesus is actually responsible for this kid's neglect of such a great salvation. That's right. Which will condemn him. So do yes. you want to condemn people? 
by just your sins of omission, you're omitting the need of the gospel. Because again, if we if if Jesus exists, that means the law is something and is something that's going to testify against us. So yes. it's the law written on our hearts. So this is Romans 2. Um, if the Gentile acts as if he's following the laws because the law is written on his hearts, we know. We know. And then our thoughts will either accuse or excuse us. So the law that was already written on our hearts is going to be, so there's the law already on the heart. And the only difference between the law in the heart and what was written on stone was literally just writing it and giving it specially to people to to uh, bring Christ into the world to then fulfill that law for his people. And again, if the law does not make, if the law is nothing, if, if Jesus was not about rules, why did he die on a cross whenever that was in the law as the most cursed death? Mm-hmm. If that law is not important, then Christ's death is not important because he became the most utter, humiliating, ugly curse because that's what we were. And he became that for us. Him who knew no sin became sin for us so that we can be the righteousness of God. And that is the gospel. And so if you get rid of the law, you get rid of Jesus, any right. need for Jesus. So Jesus actually should have told that boy, like, why do you need me? You're okay. Yeah. Not why are you healed? Why don't you need healed? Yeah. Yeah. So again, so there actually is no healing because there's nothing wrong. So That's you right. can't say there's any healing. And you can say, well, uh, well, he got healing from the fact that knowing that these people that are talking bad about being gay, you know, they're the wrong. Oh, they're wrong. Oh, so now you're bringing a law. I thought Jesus hated rules. So you should hate rules, but you're making rules. So you're saying, well, the Perfect. only rule is just this one rule. It's like, well, you know, I don't I don't have rules. But I thought you, Jesus hated rules. Rule. Yeah. <laughs> so again, like you, if you it's Christ or chaos. And so right. this is just written from a bunch of chaos. And yes, it pulls on the heartstrings and whatnot, and it definitely appeals to the culture. That's Actually, it, not, that's not going to give the gospel. It's not going to help anybody out. And it might, you know, it's like you you uh, give a man a fish and he eats for a day and you teach a man, man to fish and he can do it for a lot. You know, he gets to eat for a lifetime because of that. You know, there's no fish. <laughs> you're not giving a man a fish. You're thinking yeah. you are. You're thinking you're teaching him something, but you're giving him absolutely nothing. Uh, you didn't give him fish. You, actually, gave him, you gave him. Yeah. You gave him rat poison. And then you're not giving him anything neutral either. Again, yeah, the rat. That's, poison. I just you said you, gave, you didn't give him yeah. fish. You gave him rat poison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's that's a sad thing. So um, we don't need to be aiding in the neglect of the gospel. That's right. And we're giving them the neglect of the gospel. And so again, this is just a. I'm making that connection with the whole just abolition issue. It just goes to show you um, these are universal things. These things apply across the board in every area of life in any situation in life, the gospel and the law speak to it. And so that's why, you know, we need to commit ourselves to all of Christ for all of life. That's why we have to study the old Testament, see what's happened in the new Testament because of Jesus. But you know, the law doesn't go away. The law will condemn everybody. And that's why we need Jesus. And so there's the discontinuity. It becomes transformed. It's a transformed law and we can call it the law of Christ, but it's still, you know, we, we are responsible for our actions and Amen. we will be held account and for that. And we better find ourselves in Christ. We better go to Christ and touch the hem of his garment in faith. And he can pronounce us clean um, and gives us every bit wrong with us. And so we, ne- we need to be able to listen to th- look at these things and discern them, especially as we uh, go on in the future with the co- podcast. So if you watch the Super Bowl, uh, you probably watch the commercials and there was 
Um, we have not been able to uh, come together, Dave and I anyway, and uh, look at the website, look at their content. Uh, but we would like to, to hit the uh, he gets us because, yes, I started in Hebrews one in the beginning of two. But if we continue to go go on in Hebrews two, that's where it talks about Christ was made uh, flesh. He was made like us so that he could be the perfect savior for us. And so there's a sense, again, this is where you got to go. Here's what distorted truth is, and it's so close, but it's so wrong. And so we need to make sure that uh, the Taggart podcast can help equip you guys, uh, get you guys into the discussion, add to the discussion, whatever we can do to uh, get into this thing, because uh, apparently Hobby Lobby guys are into it. So there's a lot of money. Um, Hobby Lobby has been in the news, uh, you know, against vaccines and a bunch of other things. So it's one of those things they have fought a Christian fight in public. Then they put this out and it's like, okay, here's like real Christians uh, doing an active thing. Um, it's going to be appealing. And so we need to make sure that we stay on top of this. Uh, you know, if you're a pastor, um, if you are a community group, life group leader, whatever, um, if you're shepherding anybody, um, we need to make sure that we get into this because uh, it's going around and it's being talked about. This, uh, this he, he gets this thing. And there's a lot of people that are going to be in the church just seeing the, oh, he gets it. Yeah, he does get it. But they didn't really delve deep and so let us you know hopefully we'll get to delve deep in that in the future like really yeah. soon future to start talking about that so i'm like glad that, that happened because we've had this show to talk about for a very long time and we're finally getting it recorded that's right <laughs> so it's almost like i said like this uh he gets this thing brought made something old new again so that that's we right. can uh get the wheels turning so amen thank you Dave. well i don't thank you brother this is awesome stuff brother i appreciate it i'm looking forward to our next time we get together mm -hmm. with that said this is the tag your it podcast and i am david van bever and i am rare and Sully. deo gloria <laughs>